Welcome to the Off Duty On Duty Podcast, episode number 19. I'm your host, Brian Eastridge. Welcome to the podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com podcast network. The Off Duty On Duty Podcast, we take topics relevant to today's gun owners and we tackle them from the perspective of everyday concealed carriers and the perspective of on duty law enforcement officers to give you both angles of discussion. Today, I'm going to be joined by one of my personal heroes, Super Dave Harrington. We're going to talk about certification versus training, qualification versus training. And I substitute the word certification for qualification because that's essentially what it is. And I think a lot of shooters mistake certification for training. So Dave and I are going to break that apart for the civilian populace and also relates directly to law enforcement because every law enforcement officer has to qualify yearly in this country and a lot of them mistake that as training it's not training it's just a certification let's talk about our sponsors this week mountain man medical mountain man's focused on two core principles Build med kits and trauma kits that consist of name brand proven and tested components. Second, make them the most affordable of any company on the market. Check out the full lineup of products and kits at mountainmanmedical.com. And remember, law enforcement officers, firearms instructors, and other professionals, you can save up to 15%. Check them out. Get your people equipped with medical. And there's no better way to do it than Mountain Man Medical. Those guys over uh, at Mountain Man Medical, man. They are doing some great work, and it's very cost-effective, so check them out. All right, also, the honorary sponsor this week is EDC Belt Company, home of the foundation belt, the most comfortable, functional concealed carry belt on the market. Let's bring in our guest, Dave Harrington. Thanks for joining the Off-Duty, On-Duty podcast. I appreciate you taking the time this evening to have a chat with me. No worries, man. Yeah, we had a we had a good uh Good phone conversation last night. I hadn't uh, I hadn't seen you in like what like 16 18 years and you know yeah, kind of been quite a while man. Yeah. Went back over some of the old uh the old days of the uh greater Fort Bragg area shooting community. So that was kind of a fun right. toddle off down memory lane. One of the things we talked about last night was training people to take the test and I see that as a chronic problem across the board in law enforcement is training new people not to be a shooter to be a well-rounded proficient shooter so much as training them to pass a certification test and you mentioned you'd kind of had some experience with that before let's dive off into that a bit well i can tell you exactly why things degrade or the majority of organization i'm not going to say all i'm not going to lump everybody into the pile but the majority of organizations do wind up basically monkey training people to pass the test. They're not training them to be well-rounded shooters in order to qualify or, you know, carry their weapon on duty. They have to pass X shooting exam. Okay. Not a big deal. The majority of shooting exams are in no way as comprehensive as they need to be in the first place. There is a perfectly good reason for why this transpires, and I'll tell you what I think it is. When you're managing a large organization and you're footing the bill and the bean counters get involved, 
Then you start talking about annual cost of ammunition, all of your target materials, range materials, you know, personnel that it takes to plug in and have that mechanism run smoothly. It becomes um, a financial burden for most departments that aren't large enough or have a strong enough tax base to take advantage of having the money to spend in the first place. It's like, um, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul. You want to field the most capable personnel that you would like, but what it boils down to is you wind up fielding the most capable person based on how much you had to, you know, how much money you had to invest or spend on that individual. You see what I mean? Yeah, that makes sense. I see that kind of a microcosm of that smaller to a smaller degree with uh, the concealed carry populace. The bar for entry is pretty low. Well, here's, here's my input on the uh, concealed carry standard thing. One, I refused to get a permit for years and years until I had a couple of people convince me that, you know, provided, uh, in the event I got sideways with John Q law, it would probably be fairly damaging, you know, since, you know, guns are my business guns are what I do. So I went ahead and got a permit, but I resent the fact that I have to have a permit issued by the state that I live in when the constitution guarantees me the right to bear arms with the second amendment. And that's as far as I really want to get into that because, you know, it's one of those bottomless rabbit hole things. But look at the flip side of it. The whole concealed carry permit thing is is kind of a um, weekend warrior kind of endeavor. You you really don't, you have to have minimal gear. I would not even say what you're required to perform, let alone know or be able to, uh, for, as far as information, retain in your respective area, the the legal aspects, the you know, local, state, and federal laws as it pertains to the individual carrying a firearm. It's a money-making engine for a lot of people. You know, I have a lot of people ask me about doing the permit thing. I don't do it. In another life, a long time ago, I was qualified or certified to do it in North Carolina. And having gone through that process, realized I don't need to be involved in this. I was already operating levels above, but the reason I chose to this day do not involve myself in the permitting stuff is... I do not agree with uh, the standards. The, the standards are entirely too low. It's almost like there are no standards. You know, you get, you plug somebody in for uh, four to eight hour time frame, whatever, you know, requirements differ across the country. Then you have them, you know, safely. It's kind of like a handholding thing. You get them to where they can safely fire the prescribed 10 rounds or something and presto, Change, oh, you have your permit. The psychological aspect or the psychological impact of that for most people is I've done something. You know, I did something. I got my permit. I'm good to go. Yeah, it gives them kind of a false sense of uh, proficiency, maybe. Yeah, proficiency or accomplishment or whatever. It's a mixed bag. You know, there's pros and cons 
and so many different perspectives that you can look at that is silly, you know? One of the things I run into on the law enforcement side is getting people to step out of the state qualification. And I've started using the term certification, even though we call it a qualification, because to me, it's essentially certifying that you have the absolute bare minimum proficiency to be authorized to carry a firearm under the color of law, right? So, Right, qualified, certified. I don't know, man. I'd have to bust out the dictionary. I don't think they mean the same thing. Yeah, I kind of equate that as certified is a little more detailed. I would, my initial impression is, Mm -hmm. you know, qualifying for something you meet or, you know, you participate and you pass whatever that the lowest, for example, you know, the last guy that graduates medical school is still called doctor, right? right? Yeah. Kind of that thing, you know, Mm -hmm. um, just because you attended successfully passed doesn't mean you're trained. Right. In the, the law enforcement community, we see that as okay, qualification. I've, I've shot my 25 round qualification once a year. And a lot of people mistake that as training. And I see it pretty, pretty inherent of people that have gone through those programs that when they go out to quote train, they spend the bulk majority of their time training to pass the test. Right. I, I, call, I describe that as monkey training. Okay. Monkey see, monkey do, that kind of a thing. You know what I mean? Or if that's all you know, that's all you're going to do. Exactly. So how do, you, how do you break people of that mentality? Is there... A- uh, it's extremely hard to do. You know, I can influence uh, based on, you know, the decisions and actions I take in respect interacting with people, I can influence their decision-making process in respect to, uh, you know, what they're doing, how they're doing it, how often they do it, how much they do it, that type of thing. There's really no breaking somebody of that because the way I see it, you can only influence their thought process because the decision has got to come from them. It's an internal thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. If an individual is convinced in their mind that they're John Q gunfighter, well, the, the only time they're going to find out that they're not is when they're gunfighting and then it's too late. You see what I mean? Yeah. What for you on the scale of, of training, what for you is kind of the marker for somebody is trained to a level of proficiency, not qualified, meaning not I've passed the test. What, what kind of markers barometers do you use to quantify that somebody is proficiently trained? that's, That's the whole thing, man. What you just described is totally reliant on the quality of the training program itself. What are you training people to do? What are the, what is the technical side of it and what is the tactical side of it? And does that balance what you explain and demonstrate and perform to standard? How much opportunity do you give the participant to, you know, perform X number of reps before you move to the next piece or the next topic? You see what I mean? Yeah. And just because you, 
you know, are exposed to say a, a new technique or a new way of doing things, you know, it's clearly explained and demonstrated, but you only had an opportunity to do like maybe 10 or 15 reps. You had the opportunity to train that task and you could consider in, in some respects that the person has been trained, but are they trained? Was the 15 reps enough? No, it's never. You have to practice. Right. The biggest train wreck that I see coming within this conversation is the reality is the majority of people do not understand the difference between training and practicing. You follow me? Yeah. When I go to, uh, just like um, yesterday, I went and put, uh, you know, I, I'm recovering from uh, surgery on my right Achilles tendon. And I have been literally shut down for the last three months. I've been off the guns for the last three months. Yesterday was the first day that I went to the range and actually put in a solid pistol workout. My only limitation was, you know, the amount of time I could comfortably remain on my feet. I selected, I would say, I don't know, five, six of the hardest firing exercises I know. And that's what I worked on or that's what I performed. That's what I did. You see what I mean? Because for me, coming off the guns on a after a three-month forced break, it was more... I wanted to more evaluate where I was at or how kind of a, uh, get a measure of how detrimental the break was. And the fact of the matter is really not that big of a deal. I had a, I had a fun time. I had a, a good time. And then uh, my final, com- what I refer to as a culmination exercise for the workout was uh, 10 individual one-shot draws at 50 yards on an Ipsic silhouette. Real simple, you know, on the clock, mount, acquire, and fire one shot for one hit with a a two-and-a-half-second part-time for the action. And I went, uh, I was down two mics. I I actually called three mics, but one shot call was an error to my advantage because I had eight hits on target. And my standard uh, action time was right around uh, anywhere from, um, you know, like a, a, a high 198 to my longest was 259. Kind of had a, but um, my average time was like two seconds. Right. Okay. Is that the vi- that's the video so, you posted up on Facebook. Uh, couple- yeah, just recently. Yeah. So that was your final culmination of doing some uh, evaluation yeah, practice. Yeah, I just call it a workout, man. Yeah, so you look at practice kind of like a workout. It's it's your practicing skills yeah, that you've already trained. Workout. Yeah. But I, what am I doing when I do that? When I go to the range and put in a pistol workout, what, what, what am I actually doing? You're practicing. I'm practicing, exactly. Conditioning myself, but I'm still practicing what I already know. Training is about learning new things, learning and doing new things, being exposed to, uh, 
you know, new material, new perspectives. Yeah. I, and as soon as you display that you get it, you move to the next piece or the next topic. You can't say you're trained because you haven't practiced it, but you've been trained because you have been exposed to the material or the information and provided an opportunity to perform it. But it doesn't mean you're competent or certified to perform that task. You see what I mean? Yeah. I like the way that you break down training versus practice. So training being acquiring a new skill set or a new series of information practice being putting that into action again and again, right. doing it over and over until, you know, you're satisfied. And that's one of the, the issues I see, not just in law enforcement, kind of across the board is people get a minimal amount of training and then they practice to that minimal amount of training. And that training tends to center around some arbitrary qualification. And I hear right. instructors now use uh, performance-based training, right? Where there's no real outcome. There's no, there's no standard outcome. It's, I'm going to train you and your goal is to perform these tasks to the best of your ability. There's not some arbitrary standard on top of them. Do you feel like that that's a positive thing? Or do you feel like there needs no, to... No, I don't. Actually, the opposite. Because the bottom line is, I, I see all kinds of faults with that train of thought. All right? But the biggest one is shining people on, leading them to believe they're accomplishing something. But the fact of the matter is, is you did not put them to the test so they can understand what they're capable of performing within a given time frame. You see what I mean? Yeah. So do you feel like that that's more of a a building block tool to get people to a level it's of the performance? Same thing as um, you can't attend my secret squirrel class until you go through level one through a hundred. On the hundred and first time that we interact, I'll give you the secret stuff. Or the real deal. You know, it's all, it's canned. It's um, marketing. It's um, how do you generate business? How do you generate follow-on work? How do you instill the desire in an individual to want to come back to you to further their ability, further their knowledge, further their ability? None of it means nothing if you are not challenging the individual and, uh, and providing them an opportunity within the construct of a legit shooting problem to test themselves and know. You see what I mean? The training that you described, and correct me if I messed this up, but what you described was training that really has no goal. You know, you, you show up and you do a bunch of cool stuff, shoot a bunch of bullets, call it a day, good to go. I mean... To me, my gut impression of that is a total waste of time and energy, man, and resources. If you're going to qualify someone or certify someone, it has you have to use a standard. You have to have a standard. Now, what that standard is, is it something that you developed and implemented? Look at all of the standards that currently exist. You have, you know, FBI, Secret Service, ATF, 
all your alphabet agencies have their own internal train of thought, environmental impacts to their training scheme and maneuver. But what, what else do they also have? Their own qualification course. You see what I mean? Yeah. So in my mind, if I have qualification course X, then what is that going to require my skill? You know, do, do I even possess the knowledge and ability to administer the test to myself? You see what I mean? Yeah. And how well do you perform? Is there like in your own programs, is there any markers that you use? Like what, what type of markers do you use? Like what type of uh, standards do you set for performance? I mean, is there some examples you can give? Like, like for instance, the old, like perfect example, like a combat load or a slide lock load, no matter what the construct of the shooting problem is two seconds or less. That is a good professional standard for performing a combat load, emergency load, slide lock load, however you choose to describe it. But the difference is, dig this, what exactly are you evaluating or how are you evaluating it? Now, from a standpoint of having, uh, looking at the slide lock load task, right? Pistols loaded with one empty mag inserted, seated and locked, pistols mounted on target. At the first beat, you fire your first shot provided everything is working mechanically correct and you have no shooter-induced malfunctions, slide locks to the rear, you jettison the empty mag, replenish the gun, and fire a follow-on shot. Now, I know for a fact, in that canned structure, you can work well under two seconds. I'm right around 1.2, but now dig this. The split time is what I'm talking about. You yeah. understand that? From shot okay, to shot, cool. yeah. Split time, 1.2. All right, now dig this. If I were to set up, look look at a classic El Presidente. Are you familiar with El Presidente? Oh, yeah. Okay, now dig this. You know, facing up range, on the beat, turn, draw, engage, 2-2-2 two, 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 to slide lock, load, 2-2-2. Two, two, two. Okay? What do you think your time on that same task, slide lock load, the comparative study is you're doing a canned static load, and then you're doing the same type of load within the construct of a shooting problem. What do you think the difference is going to be? It's going to be huge. You're not going to you're not going to pull off you know some 1.1 1.2 load within a even, you know, moderately complex shooting problem because there's too many moving parts. What I'm getting at is how do you evaluate? How do you evaluate your people? How do you test them? Do you, uh, is it pass fail? Is there, have you worked out some form of grading on a curve? Performance-based model where you are training people to complete tasks and maybe you don't put a barometer on it per se. And then there's pros and cons to having an outcome-based, task-based model. Well, see, a lot of that, allow me to interrupt, please. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, what you're talking about, you're throwing the stuff out. I, I'm, you know, outcome-based. What did you say? Performance-based. Yeah, performance-based, outcome-based. There's a couple other. And the, you know what all that is to me? A bunch of gibberish. Cool. Because... You know what I mean? That's something else that I see in the civilian training circles really big is, you know, you have 
trainer A over here that goes, well, my training is all performance-based. There's no limit to what you can achieve here. And, you know, we measure your performance, performance, performance. And then on this side, you have, well, what our training is based on the outcome that you are certified, qualified, whatever to be, and like say a law enforcement qualification course. Well, we're training for this goal of passing this course. That's two pieces of lingo that I've heard in the firearms community that I'm, I appreciate your insight on because I like what you said. It's, it's gibberish. Like, well, it is, man. It's, um, oh man. Um, there's an analogy. Um, I mean, you can bathe and clothe a pig, but guess what? Still a pig, still a pig. So how do you, how do you do that? Um, well, what do you see in the, uh, let's say in the civilian training circles, what do you see as like challenges with like classes where you have, uh, you know, a limited amount of time and resources to having an, an outcome-based standard or a, a standard based. Do you Don't have to, me, man. sorry, man. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, what I mean by that is okay, we have a goal here at the end that we want you right. to pass a series of exercises, uh, a series of skills. What do you, th- the challenges of that when you have a limited amount of time and resources versus, you know, a police academy, a military shooting school where you have a much longer uh, time frame to incorporate that saying, stuff? Yeah. yeah. What, what mm-hmm. kind of, how do you address those challenges? within the limits of the time and resources that I have. <laughs> I think that's, that's the best that's answer. The you, you can do it. Yeah. One of the things I find with that is I just have to break things down into smaller chunks, you know? Okay, cool. Well, let me give you an example. Yeah. Uh, in answer to your question, let me give you an example. Let's just say slide lock load. What, what you're actually dipping into dude is training development, um, and stuff like that, um, you know, applied theory, mm-hmm. uh, how human beings learn. There, there are so many different factors that come into play. The problem when you sit down and develop a training program. Okay. Yeah. Well, is it a training program that provides practice or is it a documented workout? You know, where you're just going to go to the range and practice the shit, you know, you understand what I mean? Yeah. But from a training development standpoint, you bring up an interesting point in respect to how do you quantify it? How do you quantify what you actually accomplish? Now, this is the the main difference um, in respect to what you're actually asking me is. It's never a level playing field for me. Okay. Yeah. Never. It does not matter. You know, vetting is, um, another myth unless you require, you know, people to, uh, already be permitted or some form of, um, training documentation or whatever, even that's can give you a false sense of the individual you're working with because the fact of the matter is you can tell me anything you want 
I have been through every shooting school on the face of the planet and I'm ready to rock. I'm good to go. And come to find out just by my observation of you interacting with your kit and equipment, I come to the determination that you can't chew gum and walk at the same time. You see what I mean? Yeah. So it's never a level playing field for me with open enrollment, run a gig. It's a level playing field for the crew because I am the focal point for everything that does or does not happen during that time frame. You see what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But what is the one thing I can't control the skill level of the crew. So I have to be prepared to not only uh, execute my program to stand to my standard, but I have to make adjustments and interact with each individual based on my analysis of their ability level. You see what I mean? Yeah. We may be talking about the same thing. For example, if, if we had like an entry level cat in the crew and you, all right, I might be talking about the same thing. So we'll just throw side alignment out there. I might be discussing side alignment with this cat, but when I speak to you about side alignment, it's not the same thing. I'm not using, I'm not even using the same language. You see what I mean? Because you possess a much higher level of knowledge, understanding, and skill than that individual. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's why it's never a level playing field for me. I have to go in and I have to deal with, you know, 10 to 12 completely different individuals. Whereas all they need to be concerned about is interacting with just me. You see what I mean? Those experiences, and as they take place during the execution of the training program, weigh heavy or influence my decision-making process where I'm going and most certainly how I'm going to get there. It's a pretty big nut to crack. You you just don't sit down and... um, you know, say I'm going to, I'm going to develop a program and it's going to be, you know, rock solid. It may appear to be rock solid until you try to administer it. And then you find issues. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we you have to make modifications. And that, that's one of the, the challenges that I've seen doing open enrollment, civilian based classes versus having a program and executing a program in, you know, a law enforcement setting where a condition of your employment is you're going to go through this program and you're going to pass said test at the end. And part of the detriment I find in that having like a canned program like that, where for instance, like my agency, we, we do a two week, you know, two 40 hour weeks back to back, uh, about 2000 rounds total in the, in the two weeks to get them to a level of skill. But then after that, having these people, they, they go out on their own, they come back to the, to the gun range and now they're, they're going to train or they're going to practice. 
and it ends up being this habitual practicing of the test as opposed to, well, I have these skill sets broken down. Now I can, pra- I can practice a skill set that I've learned in training. When I see like a canned program, like an LE program, the playing field is much more level because it's kind of the crawl, walk, run. We, everything's broken down into chunks, right. right? Here's a question I've been asking a lot of the people that are, that are training centric that I have on the podcast. If you could change okay. one thing in the civilian training circles, what would it be? People's attitude. Trainers or students? Anybody. Okay. The fact of the matter is, uh, what I see, and this is, this is, I've never really spoke to this, but what I see and have seen over time is a lot of people rarely stop and think, man, I can get killed doing this. You know, you make a decision, you know, to be a responsible citizen, carry a firearm, do what you need to do to, you know, be able to do that legally. So you protect yourself and your loved ones. The reality of the gig is you could get killed doing it. It blows my mind because, um, you know, a lot of people are fairly, uh, I'm not going to say flippant, but they're not as serious about their involvement or what they're doing as I feel they should be because they've never seriously considered the simple fact that you are going to live or die faced with violence. You are either going to succeed or survive or fail and die based on the decisions you make and actions you take based on your level of mental awareness and physical fitness as well as your physical abilities. So you feel like people get a little casual with the whole uh, firearms training? They don't don't take it serious enough. Now, I'll I'll give you a good example um, what I'm talking about. Remember that cat in Texas? I don't remember names or anything, but that cat in Texas that had shot that dude. Yeah. It was like a 10, 10 yard headshot in the church. Yeah. The bad guy shotgunned one of the other dudes to death before, you know, he had the opportunity to tuck him in for the dirt nap. Now dig this. If you watch that video, the cat, the security team member that was, um, that was killed was in the, forward pew and he couldn't get his gun out dude at some point in his mind as i was don't hold me to this because i don't know if this is absolutely fact check but if you observe the video it supports what i was told was that dude had a revolver in a sob holster you know small back holster and evidently when it was go time for real he couldn't get the gun out and it cost him his life that's what I'm talking about. The decisions you make and actions you take, even as simple as it may seem, choosing your kit and equipment that you're going to use to employ your firearm and gear, it always heavy. It's all got to balance out. But you have to be proficient. And the only way you're going to come to any determination that you are proficient is to test your skills with a qualification or certification course, fire or whatever. But how realistic are they to begin with? Yeah. 
You see what I mean? There's just a, there's too many moving parts. Something that you said earlier, I say it all the time, but, uh, you know, I always encourage people to strive to be a well-balanced fighter. Well, that didn't happen overnight. It takes years of dedication to apply yourself. I'm going to throw everybody out there a bone because I don't, I'm very cognizant of the fact I hate to sound, uh, too negative, but something I'm going to throw everybody a bone on this one. The thing about it is not everybody has the same life's balance. Okay. You know, when people say, Oh man, you're pretty good at that. Well, newsflash, dude, I better be good at it. I should be good at it because it's my job. It's what I do. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I've been doing it for quite some time. So I better be good at it. My life's experience, I have pursued this whole endeavor. You understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. Whereas, you know, your average bear that has, you know, a tech job, white collar, blue collar, I don't care, whatever. He's, you know, he's got a job, family. uh, He's got to apply himself, you know, to take care of his family. And he does not have the luxury of time to commit in the first place. The more time you have to commit to training and practice, you can expect the expense of your training and practice to increase. Food, lodging, transportation, training fees, range fees, uh, airline tickets. I mean, you know, ad infinitum, ammunition, you can go on and on. It boggles my mind to think of the amount of money that I have spent in my adult life on skill progression. Um, and and that's away from attending, I, I don't know, probably countless military schools, I'm sure. I, yeah, I did a few, but um, I hadn't spoken to this before, but uh, I'm just thinking, I just kind of formulated the thought. I, I, uh, so if, um, if you don't understand what I'm about to say, that's okay, because I probably don't understand what I'm saying either. <laughs> You've got to be able to quantify your material, okay? And here's what I mean by that. Your average bear comes to a training gig. Well, I better be on my A game, and I should be good at what I'm doing because I consider myself a professional trainer. A two-day open enrollment gig, your average bear observe, sees me perform task X, whatever, or solve a complex shooting problem and goes, wow, that's what I want to do. I'm going to do that. Cool. In In a sense, I did my job. However, what totally escapes people is the amount of time and reps I've put in on everything. That's the harsh reality for a lot of people. You know, they, they plug into a training gig and they're, you know, highly motivated for the gig and maybe for a week or two after, but then where's their motivation go? What is their, you know, what about their life's balance of time, energy, and resources that they can commit to training or practice. You see what I mean? Yeah. It's, uh, I'm with you. It boggles my mind to think of the amount of money 
you know, that I've spent just in, gosh, in the last five years, let alone the last 20 years. Uh, right. Exactly. Something else on a perception basis is, you know, we're obsessed with technology and time. You know, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. What happens is, um, people are conditioned. One thing that I, I see this, I don't see it as a problem. I just see it, but people are conditioned for that sound bite. People want the sound bite. They want that endorphin dump from that two to three minute mental push or mental rush they get from whatever the medium is. You understand what I'm saying? Uh huh. And another aspect that kind of goes hand in hand with what I'm talking about is everybody is obsessed with speed. The speed in which you perform task X or do anything. If you're not doing it, blazing saddles, you know, you're not good enough. And that's couldn't be further from the truth. Anything that you do in respect to gun handling, shooting should be done smoothly with positive control. Once you can perform smoothly with positive control, then you can focus on and put dedicated emphasis on reducing the amount of time it takes you to perform a task. Yeah. But if you're not, if you can't perform it smoothly with positive control of all the moving parts to include yourself, how are you going to be able to do it in less time? You're not going to be able to. If you could give a final thought when it comes to training, a final thought on training, and it could be anything. Yeah, it's real simple. Here's how I see it. Final thought on training. Train hard, but practice harder. I like it. Well, Dave, I think my my, no bra- worries. my brain is in a bit of a cramp. I think this has been one of the more um, intellectually heavy and thought-provoking podcasts that I've done uh, with anybody. Uh just because you're you're so masterful at working through those programs and systems and breaking them down and provoking a lot of intellectual thought. I and I appreciate your time. So thanks for being on. And uh I'll yeah, we'll have to set up a charity, man. All right, the off duty on duty ops. <laughs> the off duty on duty podcast, episode number nineteen. Training versus qualification or certification thanks to our guest dave harrington super dave appreciate him being on the off duty on duty podcast reminder check out today's sponsors mountain man medical and of course edc belt company if you haven't already please subscribe to the podcast on itunes google play spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts the off duty on duty podcast is a production of Eastridge Training and Consulting LLC. Eastridge Training and Consulting LLC presents the following content for educational purposes only. Always take proper precautions, follow all firearm safety rules, consult with a competent firearms instructor, and have trained medical staff on hand when operating live firearms. Legal content, commentary, or explanations do not constitute legal advice. 
We are not attorneys and recommend always consulting with competent legal counsel when researching or seeking to understand laws and legal application. Eastridge Training and Consulting LLC, its participants, partners, and affiliates are not liable for any action taken based on the content of this shared podcast.